Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it is time for me to welcome on my guest, Rusty Brazil, who is the founder and executive chairman of RBN Energy. Now, RBN Energy provides energy market advisory services specializing in strategy acquisition, divestitures, working with companies engaging in trading, marketing, or purchasing of energy commodities, purchase of sale of energy-related assets, and exploration and production for oil and gas. And you are one of the most respected authorities in the field of energy markets and fundamentals analysis. You've had a very interesting career. You have been a rock musician, an energy company executive, serial entrepreneur, a very popular blogger. You are also the author of The Domino Effect book, a best-selling book on energy markets. And you've worked as a commodity trader, computer programmer, fundamentalist analysis, uh, and operation manager in roles spanning from natural gas, natural gas liquids, and crude oil markets. You have an MBA from Stephen F. Austin State University, an emphasis on finance and quantitative management techniques, as well as a BBA from the same university in general uh, business and finance. So, Rusty, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Well, thank you, Kim, and thanks for that long introduction. It makes me sound very old. Well, you run a pretty impressive uh, research organization or firm, and so I definitely didn't want to cut anything out. Um, and as I said, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio. You know, it's been since 2016, so I guess we're showing our age. Uh, uh, you joined me on the show. Back then, we were not in national syndication. We were a much smaller show. Yep. Uh, and you wrote this great book the domino effect that kind of explained what was happening with the shell plays North America. Um, and I'm going to get into the book a little bit in the show, but okay. first I, I, I kind of want to cover uh, your group, you, you know, the company, what you guys do. And, okay. you know, when I said earlier that you are a rock musician or you have been a rock musician, it really does help the listeners understand that a lot of what you did was so unique. And that's what I love about that entrepreneurial spirit that you have is uh, I'm going to cover some of the core. Maybe we can get into that real quick. So in your group, you have your company, you have the school uh, energy, which is a musician or musically uh, inclined type of theme. You also offer advisory practices, backstage pass, drill down reports, the domino effect, fundamental reports, the smartest man in the oil patch, a new kind of event called the con series uh, studio session. You documented the 2020 meltdown. You guys are now into renewables and you have over 40,000 daily readers. So you are definitely impressive and I'm glad to have you on the show. But let's talk about the School of Energy and Backstage Pass and some of the uh, different uh, things that you guys do that are all relating back to music. And, and it really makes it a lot more enjoyable to come to your events, which I've been to before. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, you know, Kim, I think I've told you before, I'm a failed rock and roll musician. So uh, <laughs> thank I, God I was, you did, because we need you in the energy sector. <laughs> well, I, I, I did that for about 20 years, all the way through from high school, all the way through my mid 30s and tried to make it work. Our last band really uh, uh, shut down shop in Los Angeles. We we went for the big time, didn't work out for us. And uh, and uh, during that period of time, I was I was working day jobs uh, for energy companies. As a matter of fact, in Los Angeles for a company called Getty Oil Company that got purchased by Texaco that then got purchased by Chevron. And, and so one of the things that I wanted to do when we started RBN, that was about uh, 12 years ago, was to do something that that really combined uh, my love for rock and roll music with my love for what goes on in the energy business. And uh, I, I wrote uh, a few original blogs that uh, that merged those two concepts together, and lo and behold, it just took off. And uh, and I think a lot of the reason is just like yourself. There's a lot of folks in, in the uh, oil and gas and the energy business that that really love rock and roll and have to read a lot of serious stuff every day. And what we mm -hmm. do is serious, but we also try to combine it with a little bit of humor and a little bit of rock and roll and put that together. And again, it's built up from 17 people that we first sent it out to uh, uh, 11 years ago to 40,000 now. So something's working, that's for sure. Well, you know, I have attended some of your events that you do, yeah. and there's always great music in there. You know, you kind of wonder like, man, that music makes me want to dance. But it is good. You're right, because, you know, oil and gas is such a complicated right. topic. There's a lot of serious discussions and to have something that's a little bit, you know, drawn into stuff that brings up your day. Music obviously yeah. does. Uh, it's a really good thing. And obviously it's a hit. I also, when I attended one of your uh, conferences last year, it was uh, pertaining to the ports. And I'm glad you're deciding right. to cover that because, you know, the general public just does not understand how important the ports are to them for all the commodities that we enjoy. So yeah. it's a serious topic too. And, and, and that was a really good series that you put on. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's not only, you know, the ports for crude oil, the ports for, uh, that export natural gas. That's kind of in the news these days. The ports that export natural gas liquids. It, basically, what shale did is create a scenario where we're producing more energy than we can use, which is a wonderful thing for the energy markets, for the people that work in the energy markets, and for all of the customers in the international global markets that buy the things that we produce. Uh, and all of those products go out across ports that are specifically built and designed in order to be able to accommodate whatever particular energy commodity they're focused on. So we do a lot of work around the ports, not only in, in the School of Energy that we do and the reports that we publish, but also we do a lot of consulting work. And today there's a lot of folks that are trying to figure out where the next terminals need to be built. And that's one of the things that we try to help folks with. Well, and I also really enjoy the smartest man in the patch because you are, you know, to help, uh, well, you joined Mad Money Jim Kramer on his show. And I think that, you know, when we have individuals up there that are speaking that can speak really to the American people on the topic of energy finances, but they don't have to somewhat lawyer up like most executives mm -hmm. that, you know, have to worry about that. They're not so inclined to go on TV and talk because they really can't. And so it's good that you're able to get out there and kind of talk about what's happening in the energy industry with a no nonsense type thing, as opposed to someone that really does not know where the industry is heading 
question I have is uh, recently it broke that the Biden administration has halted all new LNG permitting uh, that uh, we're trying to get through to open up to, of course, extend LNG to our allies and over the, uh, and, you know, into the world. Question I have for you, Rusty, is so in light of this, we're going to get into a report that you released for what can we expect in 2024 a little bit later on in the show. But I want to get your thoughts on um what is happening and will what will be the long-term effects if this, you know, goes all the way into November 5th and should he get reelected? Uh, what is the long-term outlook for the LNG markets here in the United States and these terms well, and, and these permits? First of all, this, this has all just happened. So we're we're reading the same thing in the press that you are. Uh, uh, on the other hand, the 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 LNG facilities that are already online right now, it won't affect them at all. They're still exporting mm -hmm. 12, 13 billion cubic feet each day, which is a heck of a lot of natural gas converted to LNG for export. Nothing's going to happen with those facilities. There's also a number of facilities that are fully permitted and under construction right now. At least as we understand it, this halt in permitting will not affect those facilities at all. They'll still come online at the same time that they're planned to come online. None of those facilities will come online this year. So the ones that are next up are actually not going to come online to 2025. So in effect, except for just the, 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 the sense that there's a change that's been made in policy, it won't really affect any flows. It won't affect, affect any construction, any infrastructure, uh, or presumably any impact on the supply-demand balance until we get out sometime after 2025, probably into 26-27. So short-term, it shouldn't affect anything besides just kind of cast a, a, a different kind of regulatory concern over the market than was there before. If this only lasts through uh, uh, through the first of November and magically goes away uh, immediately after November, or maybe I should say after uh, after the after December, and it, and uh, and there is uh, a a different administration in the White House, then practically speaking, it's a it's going to be a hassle for the companies that are building these facilities. But in the big scheme of life, it's not going to make that much difference. In other words, it's a six-month delay on facilities that are going to be there for 25 or 35 years. So, you know, oh, it's a hassle. It's not good. But nothing nothing dramatically is going to change except for the fact that there's going to be more gas being produced than can be consumed in the United States and exported. And therefore, gas prices are going to stay lower for longer, which is good for consumers, not so good for producers. Right. On the other and hand, if things, if things last for a long time, if things go on for years and, and we don't build any new LNG facilities, then it changes everything. And I have to tell you, I've been flooded with uh, the, of course, energy groups um, excited, elated. And of course, the statement that came out from API that this is uh, not good news and we're uh, going to be affecting um, how glue the global scale looks at us potentially as well as um, helping our allies. However, I did read in the report that there will be a, a, a cutout for if we need to supply natural gas to our allies, there is that, you know, so 
Maybe it's well, just the yeah. political I, I read that too, I read that too, Kim. And what the heck does it really mean? I it takes it takes three or four years to build one of these things. So if we get a call from an ally saying, "I need the LNG tomorrow." What are we supposed to do about that? How is the administration supposed to respond to that? The contracts for the existing facilities are already in place. So saying that we can somehow magically respond to an emergency situation overnight, that may, just makes no sense whatsoever. I don't care. I, I read the same thing you did. It just, yeah. just kind of wacky as far as I'm concerned. Well, we are in that uh you know, path moving forward to November the 5th, where everything goes crazy and everything turns into uh appealing to your voter base. I'll, I'll, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so um, that might be what's going on here. We're going to take a break. When we return, I want to get into uh, a recent release that you guys did, and it was titled the RBN Energy 2024, the year of the dragon breathing fire. You released it in December, 2023. It covers a lot of different issues. And so we're going to get into that in the show and also okay. talk a little bit about the domino effect and uh, what, what you wrote back then versus what you see now. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the oil patch radio show, and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Rusty Brazil, who is a founder, executive chairman for RBN Energy. Rusty, before the break, we were you know, talking about a new report that you guys released as of December 2023. It's titled 2024, the Year of the Dragon, Breathing Fire. This is, correlates back to uh, Chinese Zodiac. It's the year of the dragon. And um, so I want to give you an opportunity to, to lay out the report first, and then we'll deep, we'll go through 10. We'll start at your number 10, go down through 9, 8, 7, 6, as okay. we're going through uh, the show. So what made you want to name it the year of the dragon? And why is it breathing fire? Please tell us a little bit. Well, the, the, this is not the first time I've done this. This is the 12th time I've done this. So at the beginning of every year, so actual publication um, uh, is, is actually it gets out there for, uh, out on the outside of our firewall on the first business day of the year. And it's done that for the last 12 years. And what my goal was when I started this 12 years ago was to take all of the issues that we hear from our customers, that we get from our analysis, that we can determine that we think are going to be the most important for, I'll call it the energy energy, energy insiders. In other words, this report or blog is focused on folks that do energy projects and markets for a living. So it's, it's kind of wonky if you want to think of it that way. And I, and so what I wanted to do when I started 12 years ago was pick the top 10 things that I thought were going to be significant in the next year and write them up so that you don't have to necessarily be an energy wonk to read them and understand them. And that's the way it's worked out. Well, in doing so, I wanted to be able to, uh, to come up with a way to differentiate what this is all about. We call these things prognostications, right? And we could call them predictions, but prognostications just sounded better and it was a way to differentiate ourselves. So we also wanted a way to basically lighten it up a little bit. And that's when it just sounded like a good idea to look at the Chinese Zodiac each year and see what the year 
coming up was going to be in their in the way that they name each one of their uh, zodiac years. And so the so you know we 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 did uh, uh, a blog. I think it was 2015, uh, uh, year of the dog, and it and the blog was who let the dogs out. And so <laughs> we we tried to we tried to come up with uh, I think it was uh, I think it was. 2018 was the year of the pig and everybody was picking out that sort of thing. And so this year it's year of the dragon. So if look at, yeah, if you look at the Zodiac, the, the Chinese Zodiac, uh, it's a very favorable animal or a very favorable symbol for the Chinese Zodiac. Uh, it, it, it means uh, enthusiasm. It means the ability to get things done. So all very positive stuff, except as we all know, dragons have this uh, nagging problem that they also like to breathe fire and fry people um, and when they do. And therefore, the question then became in the way we set this thing up, what is 2024 going to be? Is it going to be more of the enthusiasm and get things done, or is it going to be more of the breathing fire? And uh, and that's the way that the 10 things that we think are going to be most important for the 2024 year, that's the way that basically we set up to talk about it. Well, I want to read just a little bit before we sure. get into number 10. Um, in your blog, you say, uh, think energy markets are getting back to normal. After all, prices have been relatively stable. Production is growing at a healthy rate. And infrastructure bottleneck are front and center again. Just like the good old days, right? Absolutely not. It's a whole new energy world out there and unexpected twists and turns at every corner. Everything from regional hostility, renewable subsidies, disruption at shipping pinch points, uh, pipeline capacity shortfalls, and all of an um, and all sorts of other quirky variables. There is just no way to predict what is going to happen next, right? All we need to do is stick to the R B N neck, stick our necks out one more time, and peer into the crystal ball to see what 2024 has in store for us. So that being said, and read. Do you want to say anything pertaining to that? If not, I say we get into uh, LPG and your number 10. Yeah, yeah. So uh, LPG is something that we, uh, and it's it, for those that are not familiar, LPG is propane and butane. We do a lot uh, of work around propane butane, both in our reports and our consulting business. Uh, I spent a, a lot of years of my career as a LPG trader uh, and as a, a feedstock person and business development person in Texaco's natural gas liquids group. So uh, I, I learned a lot about it while I was actually trading and doing transactions in that marketplace. So for, to some extent, NGLs are my first love. And because of that, we pay a lot of attention to that market. And what's going on right now is we are producing a lot of propane. We are producing a lot of butane. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that 65% of all the propane that we produce in the United States goes on ships to go overseas. So in other words, if you add all the propane that goes in barbecue grills and 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 uh, home heating and, uh, and and all the other applications for propane petrochemicals, add them all up. And it's only 35 percent of total that we use here and everything else that we get is exported. What's the problem? 
Well, there's four companies that export the vast majority of all the LPGs, and those four companies built all that infrastructure out at, at ports around the Gulf Coast, for the most part, and those facilities are almost maxed out. They're almost full. So what happens when your production starts to increase more than your capacity? Well, you say, well, economic theory is really easy. So you just make, you just produce less. But no, that doesn't work because you make propane and butane as a byproduct from production of crude oil that generates associated gas that comes along with the propane and butane. So in other words, you don't produce this stuff because you want to, you produce this stuff because it comes along with crude oil. That means mm -hmm. the epicenter is in the Permian Basin. So you've got a lot of propane and butane coming out of the Permian Basin, no more ability to export the stuff, no more market increases in the United States. You put that together and nobody really knows what's going to happen. I was just going to ask you what is going to happen. And just to our listeners, the four companies you 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 mentioned, it's Enterprise, Energy Transfer, Phillips 66, and Targa. Correct. So, um, well, uh, that'll be interesting to see how this it, lays it, out. It, it, it will be. I mean, uh, you know, obviously prices are going to be cheap. So, uh, you know, uh, if you got a propane tank uh, in the back of your house, as, as I do, uh, you might want to put off feeling, filling that tank for about another three or four months because yeah. this is going to get worse as the year goes on. I couldn't agree. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to go to number nine, and we're going to talk about the Bakken and their test for NGLs. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to an old patch radio show. My guest today is Rusty Brazil, who is the founder and executive chairman at RBN Energy. Rusty, before the break, we were discussing a new report blog that you guys released that was titled The Year of the Dragon, Breathing Fire, and what we can expect for 2024 in certain areas. On number nine, as we do the countdown to get to number one in the report, Bakken producers will test NGLs and natural gas takeaway capacity limits. Tell me a little bit about that. Bakken is North Dakota. So mm -hmm. it's quite isolated and removed from the majority of markets. Bakken was growing like crazy uh, before COVID. COVID slowed it down a lot. Before COVID, it looked like that the Bakken was going to run out of pipeline export capacity for both NGLs and natural gas. One of the unique things about the Bakken is that there's a lot of ethane that can be rejected, which means that you don't sell it as ethane for a petrochemical feedstock, but you sell it as natural gas as a as a fuel. So a lot of what goes on in the Bakken is the balance between whether I sell my ethane as a fuel or sell my ethane as a petrochemical feedstock. Either way, it's got to move a long way in order to get to markets. We thought it was going to fill up right before COVID hit. There were a lot of folks that were worried about it and looking at projects in order to be able to expand capacity on both NGLs and uh, natural gas. It hit those projects all just basically shut down because there wasn't any need for it because production got cut back so much in the Bakken. Bakken got hit really bad by the whole COVID cutback thing uh, when crude oil prices uh, crashed as hard as they did. Now, Production has crawled back to for natural gas and for NGLs higher than it was back before COVID. So the problems that looked like were going to occur back then 
look like there could very well occur again uh, over the next year or two. And so basically what we said is, hey, if you are in the Bakken and a producer, if you are in the Bakken and a midstream company, or if you are a buyer of either natural gas liquids or uh, a natural gas out of the Bakken, you need to pay really close attention to what's going on because we very well could be hitting a wall sometime in the next year or two. Yikes. Let's go to number eight. The years of natural gas storage wandering in the economic wilderness are over. What's that? This is, this is good news for, for a lot of folks. So uh, back uh, really before shale kicked in, uh, there was the notion that the United States is going to run out of natural gas. And we were going to have to be importing significant quantities of LNG in order to make up for the gas that we needed that we weren't going to produce ourselves. When that was going on, there were a lot of folks as they were building LNG import terminals and several of the terminals that exist right now started life as import terminals, not export terminals. They basically said in order to be able to balance things out, get cargoes in and then be able to feed that into the infrastructure across the pipeline network of the United States, we're going to have to build a lot of storage. And they did. They just started building storage like there was no tomorrow. Well, as that was going on, shale was starting to ramp up, and the more shale production increased, the more it became obvious that imports were not going to happen at all. Exports were going to happen, and exports required a lot less storage in order to be able to manage the business that that goes on with one of those facilities. So at that point in time, a lot of those storage projects just went belly up. Uh, you couldn't build storage. The value of storage dropped, and it stayed low for basically a decade. Now, things are changing. Two or three things are going on. First of all, we had winter storm Uri, and that alerted to everybody that we need to have more storage for natural gas whenever a, a weather event like that happens. Secondly, we've got a lot more renewables, and it's the old, uh, we, we don't have renewables when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, which means we need, need to have storage for natural gas to be able to accommodate that. And you, you put those together with increasing production out of the Permian, and then LNG exports that do need some storage, just not as much as imports were expected to need. And lo and behold, we've got demand for storage again. The rates are up. The rates are up up significantly for yes. what these guys can can charge for storage probably not enough to be able to build a lot of new facilities but who knows it very well could go down that way so it's very good news for storage developers uh, and that's the folks that we see that are really focused on trying to meet that market need right now yes so gas storage wandering in the wilderness is now in the rearview mirror according to your report yep. rusty let's take a quick break when we return we're going to get on the subject of canada needs more from the u.s gulf coast natural gasoline for dilutants and how will it get there so let's take a quick break you're listening to an oil patch radio show we'll be right back shale oil and gas business magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210 210- 2407188 again 2102407188 
Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest is Rusty Brazil, who is the founder and executive chairman for RBN Energy. Rusty, before the break, we were on point number seven or countdown to number seven. Canada needs more U.S. Gulf Coast natural gas for diluent. How will we get there? And so, and my question is for our listeners, if you don't know what that is, I highly encourage you to go look it up. So tell us what the problem is with Canada needing more from U.S. Gulf Coast natural gasoline. What Canada does is they use diluent in order to reduce the viscosity of their heavy crude oil. That means it's hard to put, it's hard to get pipelines to pump it because it's so thick. It's like tar. And so they blend this diluent into it in order to be able to pump it. They don't produce enough in to meet the demands of all of the new crude oil production that Canada is, is bringing online. And therefore, they need to buy more diluent or what we call natural gasoline from the United States in order to do that. And that natural gasoline comes all the way from just outside Houston, up pipelines to Chicago, and then from pipelines all the way over to Alberta. The problem is those pipelines are full most of the year. So in order to be able to get more U.S. natural gasoline into Canada, somebody's going to have to build some pipelines. That could be a problem with this administration. It could be. (laughs) Okay, let's go to number six. Natural gas with high nitrogen content is not good for uh, LNG, but more is coming in 2024 anyway. What's that about? Well, uh, nitrogen has always been a component of natural gas. It's it, it, All natural gas has a little bit of nitrogen in it. Uh, and for the most part, it has not mattered. It takes up a little space in pipelines because nitrogen doesn't burn. So it's not the greatest thing in the world. But in general, people have our companies have put facilities in place to minimize that nitrogen volume. Two things have happened. Thing number one is that there is about four or five counties in the Permian Basin that for whatever reason are starting to produce more and more component of that natural gas. So there's more nitrogen coming out of the ground. Secondly, we're, we've got all these new LNG facilities that have come online, and they really do not like nitrogen. It causes problems for their customers. So we're making more gas with higher nitrogen content. We are we're, we're our number one growth market does not want any more than 1% of the nitrogen. And then the question is, who fixes the problem? Is it the producer? Is it the natural gas processor? Is it the gatherer? Is it the pipeline? Is it the LNG facility? And what we see is happening is everybody's going to have a little piece of this pipe, a little piece of this problem, and everyone is going to have to cooperate in order to get it fixed. Very good. So number five is cheap natural gas prices will make 2024 a good year for ethylene buyers, not so good for producers. Tell me about that. All right. So ethylene buyers are petrochemical companies that buy ethane in order to be able to produce downstream chemicals. What we're saying there is ethane prices are going to be cheap. Therefore, they're going to like this year. Ethane prices are going to be cheap because we're making a lot of ethane, just like we're making a lot of propane and butane. We're making a lot of ethane, so much so that we don't have the ability to use all of it in the United States, and we don't have enough export facilities to export what we can't use. So that means we're going to have a surplus of ethane, which is going to mean ethane prices are going to be low, which will penalize producers, but it will be good for those petrochemical companies that are using ethane as a feedstock. And what is the scenario with having this? What do producers do with it? What can we expect from them versus 
uh, well, you said downstream will, will benefit, but how, how in the past have, uh, have the producers dealt with this? Just well, more they'll, 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 that, Yeah. So the, the one thing about ethane and it's unique about ethane is it's possible to, to, uh, basically what's called reject large volumes of ethane and sell them as natural gas. So I mentioned this a little while ago, instead of recovering ethane as a liquid and then selling that ethane to a petrochemical plant, I instead leave the gas, leave the ethane in the natural gas, which increases the BTU content of the gas. And I sell the gas, I sell the ethane effectively at whatever price that the natural gas market's willing to pay. Natural gas prices are going to be cheap in 2024 because we don't have enough export capacity for that. And therefore, because my alternative market for ethane is also natural gas, ethane prices are going to be cheaper too. Very good. Number four, and we don't have a lot of time on this one, so we might have to jump into break, but Canadian crude flows into the U.S. will drop in 2024, narrowing the WTI slash WCS differentials. Right. So uh, in Canada, they have been working on uh, building a expansion, big expansion to a crude oil uh, pipeline uh, called Trans, Trans Mountain to be able to get Canadian crude to another market besides the U.S. That basically means the west coast of Canada, British Columbia, exporting those volumes to world markets or maybe in the west coast of the United States. When that happens, there's going to be less crude that wants to move move from Canada into the mid-continent of the United States. And therefore, there is going to be, based on versus where things are right now, a shortfall of crude oil for refineries that really like that kind of crude. As that happens, that price is likely to increase. The big question that everyone has is when is that Canadian pipeline going to be finished? They've been working on it for a very long time. Okay. So we're going to get into number three, which you're talking about the Eagle Ford, and it has a new lease on life. But before we get into that, um, years back when I interviewed you for the domino effect, this was specifically a book written about what the shell revolution, the transformation was happening in markets, industries, and uh, the economy. So uh, my question to you before we jump into that, so we've got about a minute left, is ha- is anything, how much has changed from when you wrote the book to now? Everything? A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everything. I thought you were going to say that. And uh, the, whole, the whole premise of the book is that in that period of time, uh, which was the you know first decade or so of the shale revolution, each event that happened seemed to trigger another event. I so know. The, the, that, yeah, that's the whole idea is, is that uh, is that there what there's a, there was an order to it. What has uh-huh. happened now is because of the pandemic, because of the wars, because of everything that has happened external to the to the energy industry the dominoes it's like somebody went through and just knocked all the dominoes down all over the floor so the orderly progression that we saw in the domino effect has gone away that does not mean that one event does not cause another but it's a lot more complicated to figure out and we're doing a lot of work within rbn right now basically trying to tell that story for what's really transpired since 2016 2017 when that book came out well, i smell another book coming out let's take a quick break rusty when we return we'll get on eagle ford you're listening to on the old patch radio show we'll be right back 
In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to TexasMutual.com slash TXOGA. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Rusty Brazil, who is the founder and executive chairman of RBN Energy. Rusty, before the break, we were discussing the report or blog you write guys recently, your your group recently released, uh, the year of the dragon, breathing fire. So let's get to number three, which is Eagle Ford has a new lease on life and it's dry gas from Deep South Texas. Um, and I have to say that I'm glad Eagle Ford is, is coming back to life in some way. <laughs> Had been struggling for the last couple of years. So tell me what we can expect in Eagle Ford in 2024. Well, Eagle Ford was uh, like the poster child of uh, of, uh, of shale growth in the early days. Uh, it's where we there. were born, so it's personal. <laughs> it, was, it, it was it was it it would just grew like crazy, much faster than anything else. I mean, it was it was like from 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 zero to to. Uh, 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 100,000 barrels a day, then 200,000 barrels a day, and then 900,000 barrels a day. It was it was just incredible how fast the Eagle Eagleford was growing. And then all of a sudden, we hit that first blip uh, of of oil price crash at the end of 2015 uh, and 2016, and it just never came back. Part of what happened is that the quality of the crude oil out of Eagleford had some issues, and parts of the uh, of Eagleford. Are, are really focused on condensates and natural gas. Natural gas prices were really cheap. So anybody that had an alternative, and the alternative, of course, being for the most part the Permian, they just packed up the rigs and went to the Permian and left the Eagleford to take care of itself. And so that's the reason basically Eagleford has been flat for years. But EOG and several other companies have been drilling down in Webb County. Uh, that's right on the border of Mexico. The gas is dry, but the wells are extremely prolific. They're very, very economically, uh, very, very economic. And therefore, what we have seen is that production for not crude oil, but natural gas out of the Eagleford has been growing at a rate that we haven't seen for years. And we think it's going to continue to do so. Good thing. Good thing for the basin. Very good. Lots of more jobs returning. Absolutely. Permian crude oil takeaway pipelines are finally filling. That's another good thing. Uh, from Midland to Houston, price differentials are coming back. Tell me about that. Well, it's a good it's a good thing that if you're a pipeline guy, it's not such a good thing if you're a producer. Because right now, what happened was in the heyday of the uh, of the Permian coming on, there were a lot of new pipelines that were built, pipelines down to Corpus Christi and pipelines into Houston. So what happened is, is that 
the, the rate of production increase slowed way down and dropped off right after COVID. Then it happened to be right after all those new pipelines came online. So now all of a sudden I've got a lot of new pipeline capacity and I don't need it. So what happens then is that people bid up the price at the production point the price at the destination market drops and therefore the differential between those two markets what you pay for to get pipeline to get your your crude oil move from a to b a being the permian b being like the gulf coast or corpus the rate that the market is willing to pay for that is far less than what you agreed to pay for 10 or 15 or 20 years in order to get that pipeline built therefore the the market that basically uh, sponsored those pipelines has been suffering. Uh, the producers, on the other hand, have had prices in the Permian that are almost the same as prices in Houston and in Corpus. Mm. That is in the process of changing. The pipelines down to Corpus are basically maxed out. They're full, 95% capacity right now as we speak. There's three pipelines, three main pipeline groups that are going in there. They're full. There's several pipelines that are going to Houston. They're not full yet, but by the end of the year, they're going to be getting close to it. And as that happens, that differential, which collapsed to basically 20 cents, is going to start widening again, maybe to 50 cents, maybe to 60 cents, something like that. Not enough to build a new pipeline, but certainly enough to make the shippers on those pipelines feel a lot more comfortable about the amount that they're paying in order to be able to move on those pipelines. So the kind of the takeaway from that is that the Permian's coming back. And it means that the, uh, the that the eventually, sometime in the next few years, somebody's going to have to build another pipeline for crude oil out of the Permian. Very good. And the number one for 2024 okay. is energy markets have fundamentally and permanently shift and we will see implications in 2024. That doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't sound too good. Tell us about that. Well, it's it's both good and bad, depending on how you want to look at it. So really when... Uh, uh, you know, when when Ukraine hit, when the focus for Europe uh, really zeroed in on energy security, uh, a lot of folks started saying, well, all of this focus on renewables, the focus on uh, on on, on uh, renewables programs and green investments, uh, that's going to take a backseat to where it's been for the last couple of years because fossil fuels are kind of back in the catbird seat again. And to some extent, that's true. But we are also spending billions of dollars on green energy projects uh, from the, 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 the government programs that have been implemented over the past couple of years. We're going to spend a lot of those billion dollars over the next few years. And what's happened is that the, the, the supply-demand balance within the fossil fuel market is being impacted by all of those renewables. So, so for example, uh, there's a lot of subsidies that go on right now uh, uh, for renewable diesel, so much so that uh, California hardly needs any regular diesel at all anymore. So all of a sudden, the market for regular diesel is impacted by what's going on in the green and renewables side of the business. So up until now, they've kind of been two separate things. The green guys are happening over here because not much is happening, and the fossil fuel guys are still doing what they were doing before. What's happening now, as we speak, is those two markets are coming together. So now, 
if I'm a power generation facility, I've got to recognize that a lot of my power is going to be coming from wind and solar in West Texas. And, and that means I'm going to need less gas. But when that wind and solar is not there, I'm going to need natural gas more than what is going to getting produced on a daily basis. So I better have that storage in order to be able to accommodate that. Bottom line on that whole thing is that what's happening in the green and renewable sector is having an increasing impact on traditional forward mar fossil fuel markets, and that is never going to that is never going to flip back around. It's going to get more and more pronounced over the next few years. And I, I think you are right in that way. I, I I think that we are starting even the even the American people are waking up and recognizing we still need energy, it, oil and gas, and and it's got to be a transition. Rusty, that is all the time we have for this show. More information on where they can find your company. Do they go to this info at rbnenergy.com or should yeah, www.rbnenergy.com. The blog is free. So you can go out there and sign up tomorrow. If you want to be able to see the blogs that we've done for the last 10 years, that's behind the paywall. But everything that comes out every day is absolutely free. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming back and joining us. And if you have anything else breaking, please be sure to let me know. We'll have you back on the show. Thank right. you. Thank you for having me, Kim. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust.